Whether this is her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct is everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct, your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to the Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. My whole life, I've been told this one story about my family, about how my great-great-grandmother was killed by the mafia back in Sicily. I was never sure if it was true, so I decided to find out. And even though my Uncle Jimmy told me I'd only be making the vendetta worse, I'm going to Sicily anyway. Come to Italy with me to solve this 100-year-old murder mystery. Listen to The Sicilian Inheritance on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Every week on Talk Easy with Sam Fragoso, I invite an artist, writer, or politician to come to the table and speak from the heart in ways you probably haven't heard from them before. Some of my favorites are with Tom Hanks, Questlove, and Kate Blanchett. In recent weeks, I had talked to actor Dan Levy, director Ava DuVernay, and the editor of The New Yorker, David Remnick. You can listen to Talk Easy on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I am the ferryman. In the shadows of the afterlife, the ferryman of souls guides America's most influential spirits to their eternal rest. Where are you taking me? Are you death? This road is not on any map. How much for a ticket? All I ask for in payment is a tale. I don't know who got to Kennedy first. And the devastation those first bombs caused. I've never been to hell, but I know intimately the hymns of the damned. Binge this season of The Passage now. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. From Vice and iHeart. I'm Dexter Thomas, and this is our second bonus episode, a conversation with Professor Hedgin Lee. When we were setting out to tell Tableau's story, I knew that Professor Lee was someone we had to talk to. She's a professor of communications and journalism at the University of Southern California. But more importantly for us, she spends a lot of time thinking about how in K-pop, fans are active partners, or potentially adversaries, in not just how things are marketed, but how K-pop itself is created. Just as background, we had a bunch of conversations before I ever flew out to talk to Tableau. When I came back, she was one of the first people I wanted to talk to to sort of process the bigger picture. When we sat down to edit all this together, I realized that there was a whole lot of insight she gave me that went in behind the scenes that just didn't make it into the show. Like the origins of K-pop itself and Americans' attitudes toward it. And also how fan culture has changed how we gather online, even before the pandemic. And also, well, this is something we get to near the end of the conversation, 
but there's the fact that both she and I are professors. There was some stuff I wanted to ask her advice about. So with all that said, I present to you the final bonus episode, an extended conversation with Professor Hejin Lee. I hope y'all dig it. So my name is Hejin Lee, and I am clinical assistant professor at Annenberg School of Communication and Journalism at USC. I teach classes on popular culture, visual culture, media consumption, and right now my focus is on K-pop. I started looking at K-pop as mostly as a bystander for a long period of time. I grew up listening to a lot of them, but really didn't think about uh, studying it until I came to USC back in 2015. I started getting questions from students about K-pop, like my what my thoughts are on certain artists. And I realized that there is actually some kind of demand from students about wanting to learn about K-pop. Like K-pop fandom is the most visible fandom right now. Like if you go online, you can see so many K-pop fans expressing uh, their feelings or their thoughts on whatever is related to K-pop. So I study it more as like an observer rather than as an insider. And it can be good. It can be bad. So I've, I've heard you do this in, in a few different ways. And I, th- I think the, the history of K-pop is extremely interesting. Um, how, how did K-pop become to even be called K-pop? How did this whole thing start? K-pop is a term that nobody's really sure who coined it. It's just one of those words that people suddenly start to use it. One thing that's sure is that K-pop was not a term that was coined by Koreans. Um, so K-pop was a term that the Japanese industry had given to uh, Korean music that had more Western influence, that seemed more trendy and seemed very different. Um, and those were the songs that were coming out in the 90s uh, that was more dance-oriented and more youth-oriented as well. Um, and then uh, people started to use it as K-pop became more popular um, around the world. And once the term became more widely used, Korean industry, Korean government, and Korean public started to take it up as their own word. Um, And I think the first time Korean public started to really use K-pop would be like in the late 2000s. How would you define K-pop then? Yeah, it's very tricky. It really depends on how you're studying it. Um, I do think that it's bigger than just music. It's definitely not a genre. I know some people think that K-pop is a genre. Mm -hmm. Um, But if you look at K-pop, it is a mixture of so many different forms of music, forms and styles of music. So it is bigger than a genre. It's definitely uh, an industry, but it's Mm -hmm. a culture. I would consider K-pop to be a culture. Uh, that encompasses not only music, but also lifestyle, um, also about uh, fashion, also about, uh, you know, uh, behavior. Uh, So it it, it is a culture. That's how I would define K-pop. How would you say that the relationship between K-pop artists and their fans are different from, say, your average American artist and their fans. So one of the things that a lot of people who are not familiar with K-pop would notice is the close relationship that K-pop fans seem to have with K-pop artists. There seemed to be a greater sense of intimacy uh, between K-pop fans and K-pop artists. I think it has to do with Korea being a small country. So uh, it is easier for fans to actually see their artists up close or to meet them um, in person. 
I'm not saying it's easy, easily done, but it's doable. Mm -hmm. um, and then, of course, uh, social media and online uh, technology has just uh, made it easier for fans to kind of build this parasocial relationship with artists. And it has to do with the artists being more visible online because K-pop industry has been very active in using online tools to reach out to fans. So it's not just YouTube, it's not just Twitter. There's also a thing called VLive, which is a Korean uh, app uh, that um, artists would use to directly communicate with their fans. They would like, you know, like randomly send out a Twitter message saying, hey, we're gonna be on VLive from this time to that, you know, on, on this day from, this time to whatever and fans would you know they would log in and they would get to they would have a chance to like talk to the artist or ask questions um or leave you know comments on the chat and the artist would read it and they would answer so there is that sense of intimacy that is being built although that intimacy is kind of like you know it's not like real intimacy but there is a sense of intimacy that can be built between the artist and the fans i, I know you've you've mentioned sort of the role that or some inspirations of things like J-pop or, or, or even uh, Motown. And I wonder if you could sort of explain, ex lay that out a little bit for me. J-pop was a term that was coined in the 1980s or late 1980s. And that's when rock music was extremely popular in the West. So a lot of music that inspired J-pop was rock based. Now in Korea, the music that inspired K-pop was mostly black American music because Black American music was becoming more mainstream in the, in the 90s. They were the ones that were associated as American music, not Black American music, just mm -hmm. American music for Koreans. And those were the songs that would be played a lot in Korea uh, at the clubs or, you know, um, or by the radio stations. Mm -hmm. So K-pop was inspired in terms of the sound. It was inspired by Black music. And that's something that the founder of SM Entertainment, Isuman, said himself, that if J-pop was inspired by rock music, K-pop is inspired by Black music, uh, because that was the most popular music in the 90s that Koreans were uh, exposed to. SM was trying to create artists, uh, musicians. It wasn't just going to be artists who focused on music. If it's going to be focused on music, then it could have been SM music, right? Uh, but he changed it to SM entertainment, which kind of foretells that there was this idea to create artists who can be multi-talented, not just in terms of singing and dancing, but also who can like do well in variety shows, who can act, or who can have a career outside of being an idol. This is really interesting you mentioned this because as you're, as you're talking about this, I mean, that the K-pop system has elements and inspirations from from J-pop, from Motown, from the U.S. movie studio system from the 50s, and also just watching a lot of MTV. But then now, as you're describing it, a lot of U.S. artists, it looks like, are kind of taking cues from how to manage themselves or how to promote themselves or how to motivate their fan base so they can get, like, they can get the kind of support and, frankly, purchasing power that K-pop audiences are giving to their artists. Right. It's just, this, this cycle is really interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, everything's coming back to a circle. <laughs> it, I mean, I think I think that's that that's one of the things that really fascinates me is I think a lot of times Americans, in particular, assume that if something, some cultural phenomenon is happening outside of the United States and it's necessarily taken from the U.S. and that we inspired them, I'm not sure if people fully appreciate what you're talking about here, which is that 
that is coming back to the United States. There's some of the approaches, if, mm-hmm. if I'm understanding what you're saying, right? Yeah, I, th- I think with the American K-pop fans, they've just kind of like uh, has accepted, accepted it. And I see a lot of similar fan practices uh, between the American K-pop fans and Korean K-pop fans. Like things that were uniquely Korean fan practices, I see it being adopted by American K-pop fans. Now, outside of the K-pop, world like young artists they're more internet savvy they're more social media savvy so they're using this tool in a way that allows the fans to uh you know constantly talk about them or promote them uh which we haven't seen with like more established artists um of like the early aughts or the 2010s yeah i mean as you're describing the the k-pop fans the closest thing i can think of in the u.s is maybe beyonce and the beehive Mm. where where i know and you know Don't say anything bad about Beyonce on Twitter because you know that they will come for you. But it seems like K-pop is, is, it seems like it's another level. Yeah. The difference between Beehive and K-pop though is Beyonce isn't really active on social media. Right. Like she's not the one. No. I mean, she went once in a while, but it would be very private and it would be really curated. Like it would be really carefully thought out. Right. Um, and yeah, she's just not that visible on social media. She has social media accounts, but she's not using it to communicate with her fans, which is really, really different from how K-pop artists use social media. Mm. Um, I mean, of course, it's mostly promotional, but they use it very actively to create a sense that they're updating their everyday life to their fans. So the fans feel like they're getting something from their artists. They know it's promotional stuff, but because it's constantly updated, they feel like they're getting to see pieces of their lives, everyday right. lives. So it does kind of make them feel like like close to the artists that they love. Mm-hmm. With Beehive, I think it's also because of like how Beyonce hasn't really been, like despite all these great works that she's released, she hasn't gotten like the proper recognition from the Grammys and, you know, and, and we know why. And I think the fans are just like, you know, guarded, like they want to protect her and make sure that she gets the credit that she deserves. Mm-hmm. And um, so that's why they, you know, are very protective of her and um, are bad at like, uh, when Beyonce gets criticism, they're the ones who like would be at the forefront of like you know fighting against that. I think I see that with uh, Mickey, Nicki Minaj's fans and the Taylor Swift, the Swifties also mm-hmm. can be very protective of the artist. But I think it's also because the and it, it might not necessarily because be because they're trying to protect the artist. Maybe it's a way of them protecting themselves and the fandom itself, right? I mean, it, it wasn't like. K-pop was a massively popular genre even because people weren't even really saying it so much, even at the beginning of the 2000s. And of course, hip hop starts to develop in in Korea around this period. So how was the development of K-pop and Korean hip hop? How did those two affect each other and how were they different? Yeah. So although K-pop was not popular or as popular in the States uh, until more recently, K-pop has always been popular in Korea. Korean mm. music, it wasn't, it just wasn't called K-pop until much later. Right. So Korean music, the popular music has always had a mass appeal, was widely popular and uh, was recognized by a lot, by the wider Korean public. Mm. With Korean hip hop, uh, what's interesting is that it's really hard to distinguish like Korean hip hop from pop because as I said, K-pop in, incorporates so many different genres of music including hip hop. Mm-hmm. So there would like, even like the HOT had rap and hip hop elements in their songs. It might not like sound like 
a conventional hip hop music, but it had hip hop elements uh, and street style dance. So hip hop has always been part of, or has been embedded in in K-pop for a long period of time. But there were like some groups that were kind of like very.、Um, I guess discontent with idol style music,、uh, especially those who grew up in the states and who were well versed in hip hop music.、Uh, they started coming back to Korea in the late '90s, and、uh, there were some underground hip hop artists, and there were some hip hop artists who were actually. More popular, like I'm thinking about, like、uh, Tiger JK and his、yeah. group Drunken、mm-hmm. Tiger,、um, who you know had a song actually that kind of like disses the idol music and say you don't know what hip hop is. This is how you do hip hop, you know.、Right. Uh, so there was because he'd actually been here. Yes, he lived in, in LA. LA. Right,、yeah. right. I think he went to the same high school as Angelina Jolie, Beverly Hills High. I know, TMI, but <laughs> real, real street cred. Yeah, street cred. <laughs> exactly. But 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 then like, there's this company called YG Entertainment, which becomes one of the big three. And unlike SM, which had more polished idol music, YG had a more uh, hip hop uh, style music, or they created more of a hip hop style music for their artists.、Mm-hmm. So the team that first came out is called Jinushan, which is a duo, and the members are both from. I think one is from Guam, and the other I think is from the mainland. I can't remember where, but they're both Korean American, and they were popular. But it was it wasn't until a group. That's called One Time that came out that really established YG as a hip hop music、uh, label. Welcome to Five Hundred Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos, and I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made. And discover what makes them so great. Every week, we'll pick a new song from the list and talk about their placement on the revamped 2021 list. We'll also have guests join us, ranging from the artists themselves to the producers, or simply other writers like ourselves who voted on them. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's "Dreams" to the Ronettes' "Be My Baby," and modern day classics like The Killers' "Mr. Brightside" and Britney Spears' "Baby One More Time." There's so many fascinating stories that have been forgotten, like Midnight Train to Georgia, starting with a phone call to Farrah Fawcett, or how the Yeah Yeah Yeahs inspired Kelly Clarkson's banger "Since You've Been Gone" and Beyonce's "Hold Up." Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Claim comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter Jason Concepcion. Rosie, somehow the X-ray vision podcast has returned. It feels so good. It does. And like always, we'll be here every week covering the wide world of TV, movies, comics, and geek culture. That's right. We'll be talking about Batman, heroes of that stature, and of course. We'll be inviting our friends in the industry to come geek out with us and share stories. We'll hear from TV writers, from actors, comics creators, pop culture critics, and more. Nothing is off the table because geek culture is pop culture, and we can't wait to share our love of it all with you every single week. Listen to X-ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Every week on Talk Easy with Sam Fragoso. I invite an artist, writer, or politician to come to the table and speak from the heart, in ways I imagine you haven't heard from them before. 
Some of my favorites are with Tom Hanks, Margaret Atwood, Questlove, Kate Blanchett, and Oscar Isaac. If that sounds like a varied group of people, it's because it is. I always wanted to make a show where one week we could sit with a politician like Beto or Rourke, the next an author like Min Jin Lee, or TV titans like Bill Hader and Quinta Brunson. Basically, this is a podcast driven by curiosity and an abundance of research. Conversations where people actually start to sound like people. In recent weeks, I sat with Dan Levy, Ava DuVernay, Benny Safdie, and the editor of The New Yorker, David Remnick. You can listen to Talk Easy with Sam Fragoso on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I hope to see you there. I am the ferryman. In the shadows of the afterlife, the ferryman of souls guides America's most influential spirits to their eternal rest. Where are you taking me? Are you death? This road is not on any map. How much for a ticket? All I ask for in payment is a tale. I don't know who got to Kennedy first. And the devastation those first bombs caused. I've never been to hell, but I know intimately the hymns of the damned. All 12 episodes of The Passage are available now. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. Welcome to Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. This week, I'm talking to acclaimed musician and entrepreneur, Mr. Worldwide himself, Pitbull. A lot of artists in general, people that are very creative, sometimes tend to overthink. That's one of my number one rules. Don't ever overthink. You can think ahead, but don't overthink. And what I mean by that is when they start to write a record, they're like, oh, that's not the line. Oh, that's not this. Oh, it's not that. And everybody has a creative process. I'm not knocking it. For me, I just let it flow. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark more than ever. Listen to Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. So I want I want to get into sort of the, the heavy stuff. Um, do you... What did you think when you first saw the phrase Taijinyo? Yeah. Shortened so, like that. Yeah. Took do you a lot where, where you were? Were you a graduate student then? I was a graduate student. So mm. that's why I wasn't like paying as much attention as I should be because I was like busy with my courseworks and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But it was just interesting because I thought it was going to be a temporary thing, but then it lasted for longer than I thought it would. Uh, and then after, you know, after it kind of like blew up, I started like reading about it and like, you know, cause it was just a really bizarre and interesting case to study as a pop culture scholar. Uh, so I looked into it. Uh, it wasn't really about fandom or it wasn't really about K-pop as, uh, people who don't really know about Tajinyo or Tableau would think. Uh, it was much bigger than that. And yeah, when I first heard about Tajinyo, like, and their claims that Tableau has been lying about his academic credentials, first I'm like, oh, okay, they're asking good questions. Like, you know, because, because, not because I wasn't, uh, I would, I, I thought Tableau was lying. So, uh, when Tajinyo 
was raising questions about Tableau. I'm like, oh, okay, that's interesting. Maybe there's some truth to it. But then the more I read it, I'm like, oh, it's just too bizarre. This can't be. And then later when I did research or read more about it, I realized that there's really no, uh, it was hard to really like accept their claims. But it was just interesting how the claims that were made by this uh, community uh, was gaining traction and was having a ripple effect on the wider Korean public. That's what got me interested. Mm-hmm. Um, so I started to look into why this claim that was made by this one internet troll would have would would have an impact on so many people. There's so much in here. This oh my gosh, there's so much in here. Uh, one thing I want to ask you: you were talking about sort of the people who, the people who were kind of attacking, right? So I think now. If anything, even remotely, like any kind of rumors or attacks on Talo or on Epic High were to happen, the fans, I think, would immediately come to the defense and say, no, no, stop it. Let's shut this down. That didn't happen back then. There- what, what, what was it that, I mean, as we're talking about K-pop, you cannot have a conversation about K-pop without Fandom. fandom, right? And without the fans, BTS, ARMY, all these things, right? Where were the fans when Tableau had all these rumors being spread about him? Yeah. So as I said, Tableau or Epic High fandom wasn't like their popularity wasn't based on fandom. It was Mm. based on the general public's interest in their music, particularly through Tableau's appearances on a lot of Korean TV shows. So they were popular by the wider general public, not by really passionate and engaged fandom. And um, so they didn't have something like an army. They did have fans. And um, I think there was a community that was created to defend Tableau. I think it was called Tableau is Telling the Truth or something like that. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't, it was nowhere comparable in, in terms of size to Tajinyo. I think it was like 30,000 versus 200,000. Um, so, and these people did try their best to defend Tableau, but it was just not as big as Tajinyo, or they weren't getting as much coverage or right. interest as Tajinyo and, and Sangjinse. So, and it also has to do with how Epic Kai became popular, not through fandom, not through active fandom, but through the wider public who have more fickle taste. They don't have loyalty to particular artists. Like the difference between acquaintances and friends. Exactly. They had a bunch of acquaintances. Right, exactly. Who liked their music, whatever music that came out at the moment, they liked it, but not but it doesn't mean that they would like defend the artist. I mean, they had fans, they had passionate fans, but in terms of size, in terms mm-hmm. of, uh, yeah, in terms of size, they weren't massive at all. So that's why they didn't have this big fandom defending Tableau or defending Epic High when this thing um, occurred. And I think I read an article that said that Tableau even told his close friends who were also like singers and entertainers to stop defending him because they were getting a lot of hate. So I think that's another reason why there was more of a silence by uh, his uh, supporters. That's like, you know, entertainers and his friends uh, with fans. Yeah, no, the fans did exist. It's just that they weren't as powerful or they weren't as visible as the detractors, unfortunately. It sounds like some of them were almost scared. Yeah. Yeah. So when, when I was talking to Talbo, he was saying that, listen, uh, when Talbo got married, apparently a good amount of his fans were actually upset. Mm. 
I think for various reasons. Mm-hmm. And and Tublis thinks that a lot of fans actually left at that point. Mm. And that may have been when yeah. th- why there wasn't so many so much support. I wonder what you think of that. Yeah, like the thing is, like I don't know how big of a female fans that he had. I'm gonna be honest with you. He mm-hmm. wasn't known as like this heartthrob or like you know the idol, the typical uh, male idol who has massive female fans because they're kind of treating this artist as their pseudo lover. Right. I don't think Tablo was kind of like that. He was because he had this persona of being this very laid back, young, chill, uh, kind of like a jokester. Mm. Um, so yeah, he did have fans. I'm not saying that he didn't, but he just didn't have that persona of being like, oh, like he's my dream, like guy, you know? So it's a bit different, but I can see like how some of his female fans could have left, uh, because they were unhappy that he got married to one of the most popular actresses in Korean entertainment. Or it could have been his male fans who, you know, started to like project this idea that Tablo was just like, them, but then realize that he is actually like, you know, different from them. You know, he might come across as this very like, you know, uh, laid back, like, I'm just one of you guys. I'm, I ju- I'm just like, you know, one of you who likes to joke and, and kick back. But then like he ends up marrying this, uh, f- this actress. And, right. and having Which not everybody gets not everybody can achieve right <laughs> so i don't know like again like i don't have the numbers of like you know how many fans he had or what the my just my perception is he epic high like he, he they did have massive following but it was mostly because of music not because of his persona or because right. of who he is as a celebrity or as a star but i could be wrong because you know tableau would have a better sense of his fandom and his um and and his fans uh more than yeah, so and so I'm I'm curious. How you're an educator? We're both in the same kind of game here. How would you teach about Tajinyo in a classroom? That's a really good question because how do you teach that? It's really difficult because if you think about it for so long, like I teach media studies, and one mm-hmm. of the goals is media literacy, which is all about asking questions instead of like, you know, accepting the message at face value, ask the right questions, be critical. And if you think about it, that's what people in Tajni are doing instead of accepting what is given to them. No, seriously, instead of accepting what is given to them through like, you know, through uh, entertainment shows, they're actually raising, I'm not saying that they're good questions, but they are questioning and thinking that they're asking rational questions. So they have the tools of what, you know, we've been teaching about, you know, for media literacy. They have the right. media literacy skills. Which is precisely what anti-vaxxers are doing. Exactly. Which is, I don't, wait, hold on. Can we say that they have media literacy skills or that they're using the tools? The tools. No, they're using they're the using tools. They're using the tools. Exactly. I would argue they're using yeah. them in a very destructive direction. Right, exactly. But they're using the tools that we've been asking people to, like, use for a long time, right? Not in a way that we wanted them to, right. but they are using the tool in a way that we've taught them or we've been asking them to. So... Are you saying this is our fault? No, I'm not <laughs> saying it's our fault, but it's just, like, turned into a really weird situation, and I'm struggling with it, too. Like, you know, now people are asking questions, which we've mm-hmm. been asking them to do for so long, right? Right. Ask questions. Don't take the message at face value. Always question. Be, you know, be skeptical. Those are the things that we asked people Um like, you know, because I teach like pop culture instead of like, you know, accepting the message just given to you. Right. Think about what these messages, how they're constructed. And that's what a lot of people are doing right now, but in a twisted, in a in a very different way. 
yeah, I don't have the answer. Unfortunately, if I knew, like, I, my life would be much easier. But, but I, I just feel like we're at that place right now. Well, we've got we've got a fun few semesters ahead of us. I yes, think. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. Every week, we'll pick a new song from the list and talk about their placement on the revamped 2021 list. We'll also have guests join us, ranging from the artists themselves to the producers, or simply other writers like ourselves who voted on them. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to the Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern-day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside and Britney Spears' Baby One More Time. There's so many fascinating stories that have been forgotten, like Midnight Train to Georgia starting with a phone call to Farrah Fawcett, or how the Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs inspired Kelly Clarkson's banger Since You've Been Gone and Beyonce's Hold Up. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Rosie, somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. It feels so good. It does. And like always, we'll be here every week covering the wide world of TV, movies, comics, and geek culture. That's right. We'll be talking about Batman, heroes of that stature, and of course, we'll be inviting our friends in the industry to come geek out with us and share stories. We'll hear from TV writers, from actors, comics creators, pop culture critics, and more. Nothing is off the table, because geek culture is pop culture, and we can't wait to share our love of it all with you every single week. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Every week on Talk Easy with Sam Fragoso, I invite an artist, writer, or politician to come to the table and speak from the heart in ways I imagine you haven't heard from them before. Some of my favorites are with Tom Hanks, Margaret Atwood, Questlove, Kate Blanchett, and Oscar Isaac. If that sounds like a varied group of people... It's because it is. I always wanted to make a show where one week we could sit with a politician like Beto or Rourke, the next an author like Min Jin Lee, or TV titans like Bill Hader and Quinta Brunson. Basically, this is a podcast driven by curiosity and an abundance of research. Conversations where people actually start to sound like people. In recent weeks, I sat with Dan Levy, Ava DuVernay, Benny Safdie, and the editor of The New Yorker, David Remnick. You can listen to Talk Easy with Sam Fragoso on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I hope to see you there. I am the ferryman. In the shadows of the afterlife, the ferryman of souls guides America's most influential spirits to their eternal rest. Where are you taking me? Are you death? This road is not on any map. How much for a ticket? All I ask for in payment is a tale. I don't know who got to Kennedy first. And the devastation those first bombs caused. I've never been to hell, but I know intimately the hymns of the damned. All 12 episodes of The Passage are available now. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts.
Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. Welcome to Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. This week, I'm talking to acclaimed musician and entrepreneur, Mr. Worldwide himself, Pitbull. A lot of artists in general, people that are very creative, sometimes tend to overthink. That's one of my number one rules. Don't ever overthink. You can think ahead, but don't overthink. And what I mean by that is when they start to write a record, they're like, oh, that's not the line. Oh, that's not this. Oh, it's not that. And everybody has a creative process. I'm not knocking it. For me, I just let it flow. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark more than ever. Listen to Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Authentic is a production of Vice Audio and iHeart Podcast Network. Produced and reported by Stephanie Kariuki, Minji Koo, Kate Osborne, and myself. With Janet Lee, Stephanie Brown, and Sam Egan. Sound design and original music composition by Kyle Murdoch. With additional support from Natasha Jacobs. Our supervising producer is Janet Lee. Editing from Lacey Roberts. Fact checking by Minji Koo and Nicole Pasulka. Our executive producer and VP of Vice Audio is Kate Osborne. From iHeart Podcast Network, executive producers Nikki Etor and Lindsay Hoffman. I'm Dexter Thomas. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Every week on Talk Easy with Sam Fragoso, I invite an artist, writer, or politician to come to the table and speak from the heart in ways you probably haven't heard from them before. Some of my favorites are with Tom Hanks, Questlove, and Kate Blanchett. In recent weeks, I had talked to actor Dan Levy, director Ava DuVernay, and the editor of The New Yorker, David Remnick. You can listen to Talk Easy on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. My whole life, I've been told this one story about my family, about how my great-great-grandmother was killed by the mafia back in Sicily. I was never sure if it was true, so I decided to find out. And even though my Uncle Jimmy told me I'd only be making the vendetta worse, I'm going to Sicily anyway. Come to Italy with me to solve this 100-year-old murder mystery. Listen to The Sicilian Inheritance on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I am the Ferryman. In the shadows of the afterlife, the Ferryman of Souls guides America's most influential spirits to their eternal rest. Where are you taking me? Are you death? This road is not on any map. How much for a ticket? All I ask for in payment is a tale. I don't know who got to Kennedy first. And the devastation those first bombs caused. I've never been to hell, but I know intimately the hymns of the damned. Binge the season of The Passage now. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts.
Listen to the highly anticipated 100th episode of Tank and Jay Valentine's R&B Money Podcast with artist Chris Brown. Even working with you from Carrie Hilson, Adonis. Mm-hmm. Back in the day, I was 15, 14 doing that album. So like I said, I was in school like, yeah. okay, this is how you do it. This is how you make a song. There's a verse, a pre-chorus, and then a hook. I didn't know none of that. You learned I, that over a summer, bro. That's and what it felt like. That's what it felt like. Listen to R&B Money on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts.